Devi Ki Jai, Bhakti Devi Ki Jai, Tosi Maharani Ki Jai, Sabarate Bhaktivinoda Ki Jai, Gaur Primanande, all glories to the Ascended, all glories to Sri Guru, all glories to Srila Prabhupada, Namaha Vishnu Padaya, Vishnu Sai Bhutala, Sri Mate Bhaktivinoda Swami Nityananda, Namaste Saraswati Devi, Guru Bhaktivinoda Namaste Saraswati Devi, Guru Bhaktivinoda Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Yuta Parakamam Shri Guru Vaishnavascha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sagana Raghunatam Vitam Sam Sajiva Sadvaitam Sadvaduttam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Ravita Shri Vishakam Vitam Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate It's not a very long purport. 
I'd like to read Srila Prabhupada's report. Whatever form of material existence one is in, one is invariably thank you, ignorant of his real situation. In other words, existence in the material world is due to the multiple reactions to our sinful life. Oh, why are we in the material world? Multiple reactions to sinful life. So we usually just call this the law of karma. Karma is work, the law of karma, because we perform sinful deeds, technically called vikarma, and we've done many sinful deeds. We have multiple reactions, and this is what causes our existence in this world. Ignorance is the cause of sinful life, and sinful life is the cause of one's dragging on in material existence. So we start with ignorance. From ignorance, one performs sins. From sins, one gets karmic reactions, and those karmic reactions build this volume. Okay, you got that? Ignorance, sins, karmic reactions. The human form of life is the only loophole by which one may get out of this entanglement. So there's karmic reactions that can give you a body lower than human, but you cannot get out of this ignorance from that body. Just like on the property, there are cows, there are kukiko birds, there are ducks, and they are not able to get out of material entanglement, out of the network of karma, while they're in that body. Generally, there's sometimes exceptions. The Vedas, therefore, give us a chance for escape. Everybody like freedom? Everybody who would like to be free? Okay. For pointing out the path of religion, economic comfort, regulated sense gratification, and at last, the means to get out of a miserable condition entirely. So the Vedas are not saying, just forget about economic development, forget about satisfaction for your senses. No. Here it's saying, religion, economic comfort, regulated sense gratification, and finally, moksha or liberation. The path of religion or the different kinds of sacrifice recommended above. So here Prabhupada saying religion means different kinds of sacrifice. Automatically solves our economic problem. Oh, this is a very radical idea. That we would solve our economic problem through the sacrifices of religion. By performance of jagya, we can have enough food, enough milk, etc even if there is so-called increase of population. So the modern propaganda is we're on a finite world with limited resources, don't have too many children, for goodness sakes, whatever you do, because there's no way there'll be enough for everybody. But what does it say in the Isha Upanishad? Om Purna Nada Purna Vida, Purnas Purna Udra Chate, Purnasya Purna Andaya, Purna Eva Vashishite that the supreme absolute truth is complete. Krishna is complete. And even if you take away something complete, he's still complete. That's not true for an ordinary material object. If I take this mat here, and I take out a complete square from the mat, the mat itself is no longer complete. But with Krishna, that's not the case. And actually, Krishna is perfectly competent to provide the economic necessities for an unlimited number of people. I mean, even by mathematics,
mathematical calculation, you could put 10 times the present population of the world into the state of Texas in America, and everybody would have enough place to live, and if everyone even lived on a Western meat-eating diet, still, the present land use could supply 10 times the current population. What to speak of if people were on a more sustainable vegetarian diet. The problem is that land is being misused. Instead of being used for growing food, it's being used for growing coffee, tobacco, and so many things. Right? When the body is fully supplied, naturally the next stage is to satisfy the senses. The Vedas prescribe, therefore, sacred marriage or regulated sense gratification. Thereby, one is gradually elevated to the platform of release from material bondage, and the highest perfection of liberated life is to associate with the Supreme Lord. So here, Srila Prabhupada is saying that there's levels of moksha, there's levels of liberation, and the highest level of liberation is personal association with the Supreme Lord. Perfection is achieved by performance of yajna, sacrifice, as described above. Now, if a person is not inclined to perform yajna according to the Vedas, how can he expect a happy life even in this body? And what to speak of another body on another planet? There are different grades of material comforts in different heavenly planets. And in all cases, there is immense happiness for persons engaged in different kinds of yajna. Here Prabhupada is saying, immense happiness. So in modern society, we don't find very many people who are experiencing immense happiness. Leary says that is possible for those who perform different kinds of yajna. But the highest kind of happiness that a man can achieve is to be promoted to the spiritual planets by practice of Krishna consciousness. A life of Krishna consciousness is therefore the solution to all the problems of material existence. A best of the Kuru dynasty without sacrifice, one can never live happily on this planet or in this life. What then of the next? So although we generally have the idea that happiness means doing whatever I want. Real happiness would be if I had enough money, I didn't have to work. I had enough good health, I didn't have to exercise or take vitamin pills. I had such excellent relationships with everyone, I never had to read a book about marital harmony. I, if everything was just there without any effort on my part, that is what most people think of as happiness. However, the problem is that we in this material world are starting from a platform of ignorance, willful ignorance, not chance ignorance. Generally, we think of ignorance as something that is not my fault. However, this kind of ignorance is willful ignorance. So I told this story the other day, but I think that the majority of the people in the room were different. So those of you who are also here, I hope you will excuse me for telling it a second time. This is a true story. It happened not too long ago. And we won't give the real name of this person, although it's an entirely true story. We'll call her Susan. And she was a very experienced hiker. She had hiked on some of the most difficult trails in the world, and even up a number of mountains. So she had a sense that she was able to take care of herself on a trail. She was visiting some friends in Hawaii.
and she decided that she was going to take one of the trails along the ocean. Now, she made two mistakes. Because she was a very experienced hiker, she thought that she could afford to make these mistakes. She did this ignorance willingly, that's my point. So as she's going on the trail, she didn't tell anybody that day where she was going. Although she knew that if you go hiking in the woods somewhere, you should always tell at least one person where you're going. And she went along. Even though she knew there was a rule that when you go hiking, especially in difficult terrain, you always bring money. With me? Didn't tell anybody where she was going and didn't take the money. That was willful. She knew this is what I need to do to be successful, but no, I'm not going to do that. So she's hiking along the trail, and at some point she realizes oh, wait a second, the real trail is off to my left. I, I got distracted. You ever do that in the woods? You follow something you think is a path, and then you find out it's not? She had gone maybe 75 yards, she said, and all of a sudden she saw that she had diverged from the actual path. She decided, however, to ignore the fact that she was off the path. To be, again, in willful ignorance. She thought, oh, I don't want to take the trouble to go back 75 yards. And anyway, I can see the main path. And the way I'm walking, surely very soon, will connect me with the original trail. I'm sure you can figure how the story is going to end. And she's walking along for another three hours, and finally she realizes, I can't see the trail anymore. I am lost. Well, it's getting late in the day, and she thinks now to go back and find the original trail, to go back to that diverging point where she chose to ignore the fact that she was off the main trail. To go back to that point she decided was no longer practical. It was too late. She'd get there after dark. She'd never find her way out. She thought, no. There's a rather high rock here. If I climb to the top of it, I'll be able to see the whole park. And if I see the whole park, I'll be able to find the original trail, and then I'll know how to get back to it. So she starts to climb, and as I said, she's a very experienced hiking and climber, and she noticed that the ascent was very steep, and her backpack was offsetting her center of gravity. And in her pack, she had her food, and water, and some extra clothes, and a torch. But in order to get up the rock, and she felt, well, I'll just quickly climb up the rock and look around and climb, climb back down, she took off her Now she knew that that's against the rules of hiking, but she chose to willfully ignore them. She chose to put herself in ignorance. As she's climbing up this rock, she realized that it's a lot steeper than even she had anticipated. It's a near vertical face. She can barely get a toehold. I know when she gets to the top of the rock, and she realizes that there's no way that she can climb down. The top of the rock is only about three feet wide, and on the other side is another sheer vertical drop. So she has no way to get down. Her pack's at the bottom of the rock, 
And she figures if she tries to lie down and sleep, she may turn over and fall off the edge. So she has to stay up all night. You know, eventually somebody reported her missing, and after about two or three days with no food, water, or sleep, she was finally rescued by a helicopter. But when she was sitting up there on the top of the rock, after about 24 hours with nobody showing up, she started getting angry at God. And she said, again, it's a true story, she said, my dear Lord, why did you put me here? Who put her there? She put herself there. By willfully ignoring. So that is our situation here in this world. We start with willful ignorance. Ignorance of what? Our eternal nature. Jivera Swarupaya Krishnara Yutidasha. I am the eternal servant of the absolute truth. Mahayamso Jivaloke Jivabhutha Sanatana. I am an eternal heart of the Lord. And the path that will make me happy is to work in harmony with Him. Those who never ignore that truth have a life of happiness without sacrifice in the eternal kingdom of God. Chintamani that's a land full of desire trees, Kalpuriksha. You want something? There it is. There's no work. There's no sacrifice. The words sound like songs and the steps sound like or look like dancing. Not quite like a Bollywood movie where they all jump on the tables and start singing and dancing, but everything is beautiful. The flute is the constant companion. Surabhi cows emit oceans of milk. And there's no work there. There's no sacrifice. One philosopher, a Czech philosopher, his name is Mikchiksemihai, he theorized that people are most happy when their work feels like play. And he coined a word for this type of activity. He calls it flow. I'm sure we've all experienced that. Sometimes we're working at something and it's just the kind of work that really energizes us and we love it. And it doesn't feel like work. It feels like play. We can't even make the line. Where does the work end and the play begin? And we feel this sense of flow and energy. So we have some experience of that in this world. But in our original state, we are meant to be beings who are very active, but whose every activity is play, whose every word is a song, whose every step is a dance. That is our home. That is our original nature. Like the path in the woods that easily went along the beautiful ocean without hindrance. But once one chooses to deviate from the path, then getting back to the path requires sacrifice. When she made that first deviation of 75 yards, she wasn't willing to do the three minutes of sacrifice to go back. Once she realized she was way off, she wasn't willing to do 
the three hours of sacrifice to go back, so she had to endure the sacrifice of three days on the top of the rock. This ignorance is a count of our misuse of free will. Then I'm thinking, I want to be independent of God. I want to be the controller. I want to think, I am perfect, I am powerful, I am happy. I am the doer. So Krishna says, all right, fine. If you want to have this mentality, then deviation you become covered by illusion. And now your only means for happiness becomes sacrifice. Now different people perform different kinds of sacrifice and get different results. But even someone who wants sinful happiness in this world, in materialistic consciousness, has to perform sacrifice. Even if you want happiness by stealing, there's also some sacrifice involved, isn't it? You have to be worried about the police, and you have to look for, you know, where can I find a house to steal from where I won't get caught? So much sacrifice, and you may have, you know, your sacrifice may be sitting in the prison. <laughs> so that's one kind of sacrifice, and modern society, which promotes the idea of better living through technology, when my parents were young, they said there were all these adverts on them. In those days, it was the radio. There was no television when my parents were young. Better living through chemistry. And so they're telling us today, you know, you just get your iPhone, and you get your this computer, and you get this thing and that thing, and you won't have to do any sacrifice anymore. Everything will be easy. But what about all the sacrifice you have to do to buy the gizmos and to maintain the gizmos, right? Uh, there's still so much sacrifice. Oh, we're going to have a free society. Anybody can live, like here, Prabhupada's talking about the sacrifice of marriage. So, modern Western society, marriage is becoming practically non existent in some countries. You know that? Like in the Scandinavian countries now, half of people never get married. They say, why get married? And people now are marrying 30, 35 years old. Formerly people were marrying 15, 16 years old. And what are they doing between 15 and 35? It's not like they're all just, you know, sadhus. So they're thinking, okay, we will have freedom. No more responsibility, no more sacrifice. And then they're having to undergo other kinds of sacrifice. Oh, we're not going to grow nice food. Well, I have the sacrifice of hard labor. We'll just buy something from a restaurant, from the supermarket. I have a relative who works in the food industry. He runs a, a company that produces health food bars. And he told me that the food in the supermarket, you call it supermarket here? In London they call it a hypermarket. But at least in a, you can all hear I have an American accent, right? I didn't have to tell you about being American. And please excuse that I have no culture, but what can I do? Anyway, in America you say hyper, means someone who's like, oh, you know, go to the hypermarket. 
Anyway, he was telling me that in the big markets, the food is between six to 12 months old, on the average. So the people, instead of doing the sacrifice of having a garden, they're having the sacrifice of getting so many diseases from eating all this old food full of preservatives. Instead of the sacrifice of marriage, they have the sacrifice of illegitimate children and diseases and anxiety. So even for the modern life, there's so much sacrifice. So many medicines they're taking. People are getting so many mental illnesses that now, in most of the city water supplies, there's all these psychotropic drugs. Do you know that? Because people are taking these, what are they? The Prozac and things like this. They're taking all these drugs to affect their mentality. And the, a lot of these drugs pass through the system chemically unchanged. And the water filtration systems for the sewage, it's not set up to filter Prozac out of the water. So you get the drinking water going through these systems and guess what we're all drinking? Interesting, isn't it? There's been many studies on the amounts of different psychotropic drugs in our drinking water. So this is the kind of sacrifice we're performing. It's not that because of our modern technology and chemicals and medicines and cars that now we've eliminated all sacrifice. Right? I mean, women used to make propaganda, we want the choice to work, now women have to work. I was speaking to one family yesterday, and he said, this is the first spiritual program we've been to in two years. I said, why? He said, we have no time. Oh, why not? He said, I work all day, my wife works all night. So this is also a sacrifice. So if we have to sacrifice anyway, my dear friends, maybe it would be wise to choose the kind of sacrifice we'd like to do. Does that make sense? Because in this world, I have to sacrifice. In the spiritual world, desire trees. You want something? Just go. Ask the tree. I mean, here, to get fruit from a tree, the fruit only comes once a year, and I have to take care of the tree. But there, the trees can give any fruit or anything you want, you just desire to get. No work. Here, sacrifice. There's no life without sacrifice. So we can choose. And Prabhupada's giving us here different levels of sacrifice. In fact, Krishna's fourth chapter is giving all different kinds of sacrifice. So one can do the sacrifice to be a very pious person, a very religious person. And certainly that is pleasing to the Lord. Much better to be a religious person than to be a sinful person. Then you do the sacrifice of having an honest livelihood. Oh, that's a big one nowadays. An honest livelihood. As so many people are cheating, isn't it? Trying to cheat the government on their taxes. Uh, doing some, you know, something that's legal and something under the counter. A really honest livelihood. When I was uh, in graduate school, our professor had us read this book called The Cheating Culture. Really good book. I would suggest it if you're willing to be very humble by the time you finish it. And it was listing all the ways that people are cheating in business, in sports, in academia. 
I just, and afterwards, I remember going up to the professor and saying, you know, I want to tell you that some of the students cheated on the test the other day. He said, you know, every single one of my students came to me after reading this book and admitted something. Right, so first sacrifice is to have an honest livelihood. Honest livelihood means that you work not more than eight hours a day, and your sacrifice is you're satisfied with whatever you get from an honest livelihood. That's the sacrifice. Whatever you get. What's your alternative? Your alternative is your sacrifice is working 80 hours a week, 100 hours a week, 120 hours a week. You never see your children, you never see your wife, you never enjoy your big flat screen TV. That's the sacrifice you have to make. So that's one level of sacrifice. To an honest livelihood, you're satisfied with whatever comes from that honest livelihood. You have a righteous marriage, you raise your children as good citizens. What kind of happiness will you get? A deep sense of satisfaction. And next life you get to go to Swarga. Oh, but Krishna's not ultimately recommending that kind of happiness. Because even if you go to these higher planets, again you'll come back to this Marja Loka. And that kind of sacrifice will not, and that kind of happiness will not fully satisfy you. So someone who's a little bit more intelligent decides they want to do the sacrifice of yen. They say, I don't want this material life. Why work so hard for things that are temporary? They don't bring lasting happiness, and even the things that do bring happiness, they don't last. No matter how nice it is, it's temporary. And my dear friends, if something's temporary, you can't feel full happiness from it. Think of some object you bought that's just perfect. You love it. What are you always worried about? I'll lose it. It'll get stolen. It'll get damaged. One of my sons just wrote me, my iPhone is stolen. That's the problem. You find something and you're always in anxiety. Okay, gotta make sure I keep it here. Watch it all the time so no one can steal, isn't it? And Krishna says, how can there be happiness without peace if I'm always worried that I'm gonna lose something and I'm gonna lose everything? Come into the world naked, go out naked. Then how can I have full happiness from it? This is just basic logic. Whatever I have, I mean, here's a nice little bag. Pretty bad, right? But how much can I enjoy it? It's not going to last. Sooner or later, it's going to get stained, or it's going to get torn, or it's going to get lost. Now, I can try to solve that problem by having lots of backups. Do you know people that do that? They don't just have one bag, they have 20 bags. So something happens to this one, they've always got another bag. Kind of hard to do that with your house or your spouse. <laughs> but even then, how many backups can you have? You can't have unlimited backups. So it doesn't solve the problem. And all of your backups can be gone in months. One of my friends just wrote me that her house burned down. You know, then that's the end of all your backups. What are you going to do? 
carry all your spare things in your pockets all the time. So that means we're always in anxiety. And again, he says, you know, I don't think I'm going to go for that kind of happiness. I think I'm going to go for the happiness of detachment. So the way that I'm going to be happy is I'm not going to possess anything. And whatever I have to possess, I'm not going to have any attachment to it. I'm going to live above things. I'm going to live like the leaf of the lotus or the lily where the water just rolls off. What sacrifice does one have to make to live like that? One has to have few possessions. One has to be always equipoise. Certainly that is a much higher grade of happiness, although the sacrifice is one that most people are not willing to make. But even that kind of happiness is not fully satisfying. And that's the reason why most people are willing to make that kind of sacrifice. You make an incredible sacrifice, and what you get doesn't touch the self. Because we don't want just detachment. We don't just want to be equipoised. We don't want only peace. We certainly want peace, but we don't want only peace. We also want adventure. We also want excitement. We also want love. We want relationships. We want play and fun and joy. We don't just want peace. So many people thinking that the only choices are a sinful life in the world, a pious life in the world, and detachment, choosing either a sinful or pious life. Oh, but above detachment, there is another kind of happiness that has another kind of sacrifice. And all these other kinds of sacrifices were painful. You make the sacrifice with the hope of getting some future happiness. Then you get some. In fact, if you make the proper sacrifice, probably the same, you can have even immense happiness. But this other kind of happiness and sacrifice, the happiness you get is unlimited and expanding, and the sacrifice itself is also Now, if it's so wonderful, you might say, why doesn't everybody do it? And one reason is they don't know about it, and the second reason is when they hear about it, they don't believe it. They think, well, how could you find unlimited happiness, and how could there be sacrifice that itself is happy? So that unlimited happiness, my friends, is getting back on the original path. Once you're off the original path, there's going to be only trouble. This trouble, that trouble. And the original path is where we again have yoga with the supreme, absolute truth, Lord Sri Krishna. Where we are connected to him again in loving service. Just as we willfully are in ignorance, we can willfully come to knowledge. And what does one have to sacrifice? Surprisingly, the only thing one has to sacrifice is this mood that I'm such a great person who's an independent controller of everything. That's really all one has to sacrifice. Nothing else. You don't have to 
sacrifice your car, you just have to sacrifice the idea that it's your car. You don't have to sacrifice your home. Just the concept that it's your home. You don't have to sacrifice eating nice food. Just the concept that, oh, this food is here for my personal enjoyment, it belongs to me. You take the food, you offer to Krishna, you offer the card to Krishna, you offer your house to Krishna, you know what? It's Krishna's hand, right? Whether you offer it to him or not. And he's going to take it anyway. Kalosi, he said. Many, 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 many years ago, once upon a time, this is a true story, there was a great king named Bali. No, not the monkey Bali. The other one. He was an emperor. According to Shastra, he was emperor not only of this planet, but of many planets. But he had stolen those planets from the rightful king, Indra. And so, Indra's mother, Aditi, Petitioned the Lord to appear as her son to regain her son's rightful property. And the Lord appeared as? Ramana. So he appeared as a little boy. Maybe like him. Bali's sacrifice, the sacrificial assembly where Bali was trying to secure his empire. And Bali was very proud. What would you like? He said, you ask for me anything you want. He said, you should ask for me something so great. You'll never have to ask anything from anybody else ever. As if he had the ability to give such a gift. Who can give such a gift? Only God. But that's what he said. And so Ramadev said, what does he want? Three steps of man according to his capacity. So this little boy right here, what's this, what's this little boy's name? Mohit? Mohit. So Mohit, probably if he took, if Mohit took three steps, would he cover very much land? No. So Bali said, oh no, no, you're a foolish little boy. Ask for more. No, no. And Ramadev preached to him. He said, if you're not satisfied with three steps of man, you won't be satisfied with anything. And then Sukracharya said, oh, is this true? Don't give him anything. He'll take everything. And Bali said, why not give to the Lord voluntarily everything I will lose at death anyway? So that is the kind of sacrifice that's required for this unlimited happiness. I give to the Lord everything that I'm going to lose anyway. It's already His. Now giving it to the Lord doesn't mean I have to sign over to the temple leaders my house marriage. It means I take whatever I have, whatever's given me, whatever quote that the Lord's given me, and I use it for His happiness. And you know what? When he's happy, I am also going to feel happy. 
And because his happiness is unlimited, when I'm connected with him through yoga, I will also feel unlimited happiness. So very simple. Whatever you're doing, offer it to Krishna. Of course, you cannot offer Krishna simple things. So some restriction. No meat, fish, or eggs. No intoxication. No illicit sex. No gambling. Other than that, whatever you do is fine. Connecting with Krishna. Very simple. And that sacrifice table Anandakanda. It is full of joy. The sacrifice is full of joy, and the happiness is expansive. And one will finally come to the point that one is finished with this sacrifice. One has come back to one's original position of knowledge, as Prabhupada explains here in this purport. One regains one's spiritual form and one's with Krishna in Golokrindavan and Vaikuntha, where there is no more question of sacrifice, only playful exchanges of love. So we invite all of you here, whatever extent you are already in this process of bhakti yoga, increase it. Swim deeper, swim broader. Uh, think of how you can give more. The more you give, the more like Sudama gave little rice and Krishna gave a palace. And we can't guarantee that he'll always do that for you, by the way. Don't think I'll put, you know, 25 cents in the box and I go home and there's a palace in my house. Actually, Krishna did that to Sudama because he was very attached to being renounced. He thought, I am very detached. He was proud like that. So Krishna wanted to be playful, wanted to smash his pride. But the point is you give to Krishna and Krishna will give back to you. Uh, many, many times. And if you haven't yet started this process, to start it is very easy. You can start simply by adding the chanting of the Lord's names. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Just simply meditate on the name of the Lord while you're doing your activities. And start to connect. Oh, what does this have to do with Krishna? What does this have to do with Krishna? What does this have to do with Krishna? Start connecting everything with Krishna. Very, very simple thing. Anybody can try it. And you'll see that you will come to a higher platform, certainly than sinful life, even than pious religious life, and even from detachment. So I want to thank you very much for your kind attention. We are now going to have some more group chanting of Hare Krishna Mantra and some other mantras, and then a wonderful vegetarian feast which has been offered to the Lord. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Oh, Sri Prahlad is here. He should lead. <laughs>